Welcome to another episode of Reflections from a Distance. My name is Justice De Los Santos, and today I'm joined by Crystal Alvarez, Perla Cruz, Valerie Jaimes, and Maya Ramirez. Crystal, Perla, Valerie, Maya, welcome to the show, y'all. Thank you so Thank much you. for, having, for us. having us. So first and foremost, it's been a crazy couple of months. The place that I want to start off is, how y'all doing? You're getting by. <laughs> I have been all over the place, I feel. Um, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement happening, I feel like, you know, I got to step up and just like do my part. So I feel like whatever I need to do, I need to take care of myself as well. And um, yeah, I would say a mixture of all things. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on, a lot of different feelings, a lot of different um, things happening, especially right now um, for Crystal and Maya and I post undergrad, like we're just, I think that's another thing on top of everything that's going on. But um, just like Val said, I think a mixture of a lot, trying to figure it out and just, you know, keep going forward. Yeah, I think every month is a new battle. Um, you know, like in March, it was a lot of like feeling of loss, um, especially again, Maya, Pearl and I are, uh, we all just graduated. Um, so feeling like we didn't get the senior experience we wanted, like we had so many things planned personally um, in the orgs we were in um, and just like milestones we had looked forward to that we felt like were snatched like right below us and I know people were feeling like that at all age levels across the country um so that period was kind of like mourning and then things got more serious with covid so that feeling of like panic um and just seeing like where i'm at right now versus where i was even like a month ago like a month ago i was stressing about finals and meeting deadlines and just like wanting it to be over and i was like damn like I'm not a student anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, and it's been a lot of like job searching. Um, and just like, you have to motivate yourself because I, I don't know, some people are like you than me. I haven't really gotten any like contact back from places I've been reaching out to. So it's kind of just like encouraging yourself being like, you know, you're gonna find something eventually um, but also that fear of re-engaging in society, seeing how these numbers are spiking up and like knowing that the easiest, the highest demand jobs right now are those in the service industry and they're also the most dangerous. So just knowing how to navigate that is really day to day. So I do want to get into aspects of what life has been like uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, but I want to kind of start in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement that's been happening over the last, it feels like about a month and a half now, the nationwide protests that have been occurring in regards to uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And just in various conversations that I've had with friends of different backgrounds, it seems that everybody has had a different central takeaway from everything. There's like what's on their mind very much differs from person to person. So the question that I want to throw over to y'all is what has kind of been your central takeaway from the last several weeks of the Black Lives Matter movement in regards to the protests that have been occurring 
across not only across the country but across the world as well um personally i don't know if i've had a central takeaway i think my biggest learning experience throughout all this is that the world that i've grown up in and at least like my what has gone on around me has been so centralized in white supremacy that it's hard for me to imagine a world without or at least living in the u.s without the parameters that have been set by um like for example the prison industrial complex the um school to prison pipeline um like there are talks about like even like killing the cop in your head and realizing a lot of the things that were taught or are ingrained in us socially are things that are are ingrained because it it's to like uphold this system so like now that we're getting into this idea of abolishing prisons and abolishing the police and doing all this radical reform we have like this weird limbo where we're like well what do we what do we imagine in place of that and it's been a lot of like realizing things and also like um trying to teach people but like it's also hard with um like conservative family members like when your feelings are negated or you don't see the empathy in yourself reflected in those that you love and have idolized your whole life so that's how it's been for me with this uh jumping off of that um for me like the teacher in me has been focused a lot on like education um, and like conversations um, because it can be really easy to fall into this like I don't know just like reposting things on Instagram and Twitter and like your social medias where most of your following probably already agrees with the things you're reposting and so it's like that echo chamber um, and you're not reaching the people who need to be reached because it's so easy to be like, oh, this person supports Trump block or vice versa, you know, like someone sees you as a liberal or radical or whatever. And they're like, I don't want to see this. They block you. So um, like having those, like Maya was saying, like having those critical conversations with the people who don't already think like you is really important. Um, and like for me, I have two younger sisters. One is uh, just finished her freshman year of high school. The other is 13. So she's going in eighth grade and they're like, you know, seeing this and they're on social media. Um, so like, it's not just the news and uh, it's not just like how we talk at home. It's also like being inundated with updates and videos of police brutality and things like that and just like growing up on the internet um such a weird thing so I always have to I feel like I have to ground them and be like yo this is what's going on these are the things that are leading up to it um and just like radicalizing them and having those important conversations and it's not that they don't already think like me it's that 
they don't have the vocabulary to express themselves. So it's teaching them that and teaching them the systems and not just how racism is individual. It's a much larger insidious system. Um, so yeah, just like putting my energy towards the youth and picking my battles and knowing that like people older than me oftentimes are already set in their ways. And that's kind of just like an exhaustion of my energy to try and have those conversations with them when I know I can get somewhere further with younger people. Yeah, I just can really relate to that. Like I personally have two younger sisters, same ages as Chris's sisters. Um, so I feel like I share a lot of those, um, I would say like responsibilities um, as family members in general, like my grandma or my parents, I feel that responsibility for sure as like an ally just to really try to engage in those conversations like y'all have been saying, um, especially just with my work position. A lot of it is, well, it's gain, it's gaining from the youth. Like I'm interacting with the youth. I'm interacting with like rising sophomores and rising juniors in high schools and um, in high school. And I feel like that's, there's so much power in their um, voice. And like a lot of this movement has been um, centered in black youth's voices, which I think is amazing. Um, at least from what I've seen and experienced. But um, yeah, I think going back to like what you were saying, Maya, about like that realization, I think a lot of this is, and I'm a social and ethnic studies major, so I feel like I've been engaged with this kind of stuff. Um, and it's like a daily thing, but um, I think I've learned like the mo one of the most valuable things for me that I take away is it's such a unlearning process of like unlearning what you're taught. And obviously education is um, set up through like a white West, a Eurocentric lens. Like it's set up that way for a reason. Um, and so for me, it's like checking myself and like making sure I'm putting in that work and also, like, like you said about social media, it's so easy to repost on your stories. It's so easy to retweet things. And while there is a lot of power in that, it, it, it can be like overwhelming. I've found myself like um, kind of or just like noting like, am, am I like, am I doing enough um, behind social media? Like, yes, social media is such a great tool. And, and it is such a has been used, utilized, uh, during this revolution um, in a great way. But it's like, I need, for me, I'm trying to make sure that I'm balancing like my social media activism with like actually sending those emails, actually calling those reps, attending um, rallies and protests on the front lines if I'm comfortable and can. Um, and so it's a lot of, it's a lot of everything. We, we can talk about, you know, all of it, but I just resonate with y'all for sure on those kind of things. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I have to say. Yeah, um, definitely feeling all what you all said. Um, but I was just gonna say, um, like from a media perspective, um, I think that for me personally, like 
I know a lot of my family members um, watch Telemundo and Univision, which are two big um, Latinx conglomerates and that like have, you know, have a history of doing all of these, you know, twisting stories and like, you know, showing, like, especially now, like, showing their anti-Blackness um, in the Latinx community and, like, especially in the way they're framing these stories. So I think that for me, it's been really interesting to be able to, um, you know, talk and have that conversation with my parents, my tios, my tias, like, you know, letting them know, like, hey, like, when you see a story, like, you know, you always have to kind of um, fact check it and, like, you know, use different sources. So I think that for me, it has been a lot of unlearning and a lot of um, I don't want to say teaching, but just kind of showing them a little bit of what I've learned, although sometimes it can be uncomfortable, um, especially because, like, I guess coming out of college, like, um, you know, being the first person in my family to go to college, you know, sometimes they might be like, oh, like, you've learned all of this in college, like, we couldn't go to college, like, you know, you have, you know, you know, everything kind of um, thing, which it does sometimes hurt because um, there's a lot that I've learned from them and that, you know, that I'm carrying with me during this movement. Um, but I think that being able to communicate all of this in this time is really important. Um, and that's definitely been one of the things that I've taken the, out the most um, out of all of this, like being able to um, also unlearn and also find those and use those tools that I've learned through my education, through the privilege that I've had to, um, to be able to now teach and learn alongside with um, all the people that are close in my life. And then with social media, like trying to reach more people. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of, um, you know, just mourning, but also realizing that like, I have the privilege to not know what it feels like to actually have to go through this. So like, there's no reason why I can't be doing more. Like, there's no reason why I can't be um, putting more effort into it. So yeah, I think that's a little bit of what, how I've been feeling with all of this. Um, I wanna add on to what you were saying, Perla. Um, I think something that has also come out of this movement is like the importance of accessibility. Um, and for me also being an ethnic studies minor, like I've studied these things in English and like can express myself how I want and how I need to in English. But sometimes I can't find those same words in Spanish or those those um, concepts just like don't exist or there's no like language surrounding it. Um, so not just accessibility in terms of like sign language, um, and like language being more accessible and not like all that academia BS. Um, so just like, I, it's been really cool to see on Twitter how people come together and provide like threads of how to talk to your parents in Spanish about Black Lives Matter or like little slides that people have put together. Um, that is something I've really valued and taken away from social media um, and have been able to like send to my friends when they need it. So just seeing how this movement has like traversed so many aspects of life is really cool. So y'all have kind of y'all alluded to the concept of decolonization, which I think that's the first time I've ever used that word on this show, considering it's a sports podcast, shout out. <laughs> so y'all have alluded to this process of decolonization. And I think we can all acknowledge that, you know, at a personal level, that can be incredibly difficult because it is this process of unlearning. You've been given this 
core of information as you're growing up at when you're at your most malleable. And then you have to tear that down and say like everything that you learned, not necessarily everything, but a large subset of what you learned is in fact false. Or if not false, you were given the wrong narrative because it overarches this other narrative. And y'all have also alluded to these conversations that y'all have had with uh, friends and family members. And if any of y'all are comfortable with sharing them, I'm curious as to how these conversations have taken place, whether or not the person you're communicating with, the person or the people you've communicated with have been receptive or if it's led to this ex- to so far as to the extreme of like having to cut someone out of your life entirely just because that level of bigotry has been too high so to say well um i suppose i'll go uh personally um it's been like a mixture for me because um my mom is really um leftist is that the word liberal um and so talking with about these concepts with her is really easy because um she's super open to uh radical ideas even if she can't imagine a lot of it herself like when i was explaining the abolishment of police she was asking me a lot of questions like who would protect me and da 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 and I was like, girl, who protects you now? Like, <laughs> but um, so I'll send her articles and um, like scientific journals and stuff like that. And um, she shares it with her friends. And um, in that respect, it's really nice to see older, not older, but, you know, I mean, older generations um, being open to change and not resistant, like, Real, like older generations, um, which brings me to like my grandparents and my grandparents are, I think they're, I think they're technically second generation Mexican American and uh, my entire family was born and raised in Texas. So they have some kind of like conservative values and stuff like that and they really their um parents really had them assimilate and uh so it's been um kind of hard like trying to explain things to them especially with like my family dynamic um we always have the news on in my house and my grandma loves to watch the news and sometimes dinner talk will just (laughs) I mean I can jump in but I feel kind of bad (laughs) um Maya and I have actually like had those conversations like yo how are you dealing with this and like kind of bouncing off advice from each other um because I well okay so like I said I I've been having multiple conversations with different age groups so it's interesting how they respond and they're all in within my pretty much in my family because we've been quarantined but um let's say so with my younger sisters it's been nice to um 
like see where their mind is at because when I was their age I was most definitely not involved in um, a lot of social justice work or community like activism knowing just basic things that are can seem obvious now that you know we have had this education but before like I couldn't see it um, and so it's interesting to see where they're at and they're more like understanding um, and my parents is a little they're different but they're more understanding as well I'd say it's just different much more of a struggle with my grandma um, she um, is from Mexico um, but I would say she has very much assimilated as well um, or have like gotten into that in her own ways um, and she is white passing so she is um, she is white and it's very hard because my grandpa before he passed it was right before like the Trump elections and stuff but you know he was a con um, conservative and with their relationship it you know she fell into that category as well and after his passing it kind of seems like she's in this state where like she's still trying to like that like I feel like that is kind of like a like something she wants to continue to believe in if you will like to like still feel like I don't know I don't know how to word that but maybe like a tie to him and obviously that has a lot of like um conflicts internal conflicts um that arise for myself with that but like for me I've been trying so hard to get her to understand where like the how essential the Black Lives Matter movement is and um and she speaks English and Spanish so luckily I I don't speak Spanish fluently so luckily I'm able to have this conversation with her um but I feel like I've catch myself like um kind of like I catch myself in a position where I'm like how can I make this simple for her in a way that she'll understand and in a way that you know obviously I'm trying to educate her so she can see it um, from a different perspective so yeah for me I've been trying to see how like I can find ways where she can relate or like she can understand certain things um, I saw somewhere that like the oh, what was it that so, like parts of Mexico celebrate Juneteenth or something along those lines um, and so I was like oh like maybe she'll be interested in how like there like there is most definitely um, black presence like within Latin America of course like without a doubt but um, and and then it's like and then I find myself like okay but why should I have to make it like relatable like this should be something you care about because they're people's lives like yes it's interesting to, um, to know like history and um, I think it's so important to unpack that like where you're from as well um, I just I don't know it's so like different sides there's so many things and like um, Maya I know you're just starting to like talk about how you approach conversations with your grandparents but that's kind of like how I've been trying to and she always sends me like 
Facebook messenger, like videos and like things. And I'm like, and they're about, sometimes they're about like cops. And I'm like, no, I'm like, please stop sending me. So I try to find, I'm not on Facebook like that much. So I try to find Facebook posts or like videos and send them back, like kind of like rebuttaling, if you will. It's just, it's just funny because she knows I'm coming from a place of love and I know she is as well. Um, so thankfully I have not had, um, to cut off anyone, um, that I love, but it's definitely a process I've expressed and like stated to my parents, to my grandma, like, this is not something you're going to understand right away. And we're not going to understand it from just you and me talking. Like we're going to have to watch documentaries. We're going to have to read up on things. We're going to have to talk through it. Like this is not an overnight kind of thing. And that's okay. But as long as we're getting to it, like that's what matters for me. But yeah, I feel like I've been talking for a long time. So I don't know if you want to continue, Maya, or if you're, I don't know if you're still, okay, yeah, it's working now. Sorry, everyone. I don't know why my Acer is like this. She's so complicated for no reason. Okay, but um, I don't know where I was at, but um, when I'm, oh, my, grandpa is an ex-cop so he doesn't like talking about all that um like just like last week him and my mom were arguing about it and um my family has had a lot of drama all the time and so um I've always been like the the granddaughter and the cousin that's really far away that visits sometimes and I'm the model child I don't talk back. I don't, well, now I do, but, um, like I've just always tried to be like the perfect child and never give my grandparents any trouble, never be ugly to them, never get in a fight with them, stuff like that. And so like that kind of mentality has like stuck with me for so long that it's really hard to try and have these conversations with them because when I do, I, I get so like mad that it starts to come off more attacking than um, educational and stuff. But like they say things sometimes that really do make me mad. And like, um, so it's, it's really hard to see like the people I love and that I've, I've found so more morally sound for so long fall victim to this like trap of like, if I assimilate, they'll accept me, which means I have to, um, like target and continue the legacy of disenfranchising this group because then I'm in the in group and then I'm with the cool kids and then I'm safe. Cause that's just how it feels to me. And it just, it's like, none of them like you either, but anyway, it's just, that's how it is for me. I, it's not really easy for me to cut them off because we've had a lot of drama in this family where family has been cut off and it's really traumatic to my grandparents. And as much as they make me mad, I really do love them. So I really don't want to hurt them. Um, and <laughs> it's just like, it's walking a really thin line sometimes. So I think that for me, it's a little bit different because um, I'd like to say that at least like my family and my, yeah, more than anything, like my family, my community, 
Um, we're a little like leftist by nature. Um, and I say that because we are indigenous from Southern Mexico and like given a lot of the different movements and stuff, like it does come from that perspective or that side. Um, so talking about this has been really interesting as well because obviously we're in the US and we've migrated and stuff. So um, that some sort of assimilation happens, happens as well. And so like we're seeing it from this type of lens. Um, but trying to educate my own family or trying to talk about this has been really interesting because they don't really um, put, a, put up a fight or really are really open to listening. And I think that that's something that I've been really thankful for, especially my mom, because like, you know, she's the type of person who is always wanting to learn and learn like, you know, whatever it is, like she'll make sure to listen and ask questions and like really um, find ways to be able to educate others. So I think that one of the really cool moments that I got to see during this stuff is like me explaining to my mom something or like showing my mom um, this perspective, this video, this post, whatever, and then her um, being able to, um, to translate that and to also um, explain it to her her brothers, her sisters, like her parents. So that's like something that's been really cool for me to see, like witnessing my own like family members, like explain it to each other. So I think that that's a cool chain that I've been able to see, especially because um, a few weeks ago, we went up to Bakersfield for a little family um, thing that we had to deal with. And so there was a lot of movement there too. There's a lot of protests and stuff. And so one of my uncles, when we were driving through a protest, he was like, oh, like, I don't understand like why, this is happening, like, I don't understand, like, what they're doing kind of thing, and so um, I didn't have to speak, like, my mom was like, no, like, listen, like, they, they're just, like, tired of it, like, if that were me too, like, I'd be tired, like, um, you know, the cops are, have done enough, like, you know, so it's just, like, warmed my heart, because I was like, yes, like, you, you get it, like, you know, but also, I also have to remember, like, she hasn't lived this exactly, because, like, nothing, like, we've gone through has been to this nature but you know we can relate in a, um, a certain way like I always tell my family members like there's no indigenous sovereignty until there's like black liberation and also we have to always you know you know be aware of our black siblings like our afro-indigenous people like our afro-indigenous siblings so I think that um, for me it has really been interesting to learn more about this and be able to um, teach this and have my own family members like teach each other and like you know that's something cool that I've been able to see like this little chain that's been going off but um, other than that like having conversations away from my family has also been really um, hard I live we, we live in Ramona which is a really small town in the county of San Diego and like more than I don't know like 75% of the population is white and I can confidently say like that they're Trump supporters or some type or like you know conservatives so having those conversations with like um ex-classmates or just like people that I see on the street like you know one time like the other day we were having a mini protest here a Black Lives Matter protest and there was like patriots or whatever the, the our paper called them like protecting the city or the town be from like us and stuff so it was really um really interesting to see that because like I don't know just having to also realize to not let them get to our head because they obviously want to incite violence and like we need to remember that like that's not where we're coming from like you know like that's not my like our place like 
you know, like, especially when they're trying to activate that in us. Um, and so it was, it just has been a little bit interesting to see a little bit of everything um, in my life personally. Carla is pretty hard to follow up. Um, I won't speak too much on it, but yeah, I don't think I've had to cut anyone off. Um, I think a little while back, I unfollowed uh, on all my accounts um, several teachers that used to be very near and dear to my heart. Um, white women, of course, education is predominated by white women. That's just a fact. Um, and, you know, they were great teachers. They really cared about their students, I think. Um, but both of them have husbands who are police officers. Um, and so obviously they back the blue, you know, they rep the like blue line flag and whatnot. And like all the blue lives matter bullshit. And just like, just knowing that that movement or what quote unquote movement um, surged as like a direct response to the Black Lives Matter movement tells you all you need to know about the police force. Um, like you can literally look it up. BLM started in 2013, I believe. Blue Lives Matter came out like a year later. Um, so I don't know. I just like unfollowed them. Um, it just like one of them even took a picture with Tommy Laren, whatever her name is. Like, I know how they align themselves, and I'm just like, how can you teach in, or, well, I guess now they teach in Vacaville, so, like, predominantly white, but, like, how could you have taught black and brown students and, like, still believe this in your core? Um, and so just seeing people that were heroes to you in your childhood, um, just, like, seeing their true colors, just like it's really heartbreaking but it's like I don't need that in my life I don't need to align myself with you because this is not just a matter of opinion it's literally people's lives and there are facts that you are just like refusing to believe um but other than that like I haven't had to cut off family members um I have been trying to make a conscious choice to like engage with followers or friends who um post some things with the right intentions but that are like kind of problematic um and usually those conversations lead to understanding and then being like oh like let me take this down like i didn't realize um so that has been my experience um but i'm just kind of past that level like 2016 me would fight <laughs> and drag everyone and anyone on Twitter and that's just not me anymore like I don't need to do that um if we don't ag agree and like I know that you are not challenging my facts and resources um you're not like talking to me to learn you're talking with me to make me angry and to get a reaction like I just don't need to engage in those conversations anymore yeah, from what I've heard from conversations with several people, there's like a point of diminishing returns where like at some point in the conversation, it kind of becomes clear that the person they're conversing with, their motives may not align with what was initially thought to be. 
especially there was uh, there was like the whole thing when like the the devil's advocate became a meme in regards to that uh i want to transition uh from conversations that y'all have had uh, with others to these conversations that you've kind of had with the self and as we alluded to in regards to decolonization it's this process of learning and unlearning and i'm curious as to like in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement. I know, Crystal, you said uh, the inception was 2013, but I think like the main kind of point when it really reached national consciousness was around like 2015 in regards to Michael Brown, Eric Garner. So if y'all can put yourselves back in to that frame of mind, so five years ago, which side note, 2015 being five years ago, I thought about that today, that blew my mind. That feels like another lifetime ago. <laughs> so. I'm curious as to how you've evolved uh, in regards to allyship since the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2015, what you've kind of taught yourself, what you've had to unlearn. And I'll jump in with an example just to get it started. And I've actually never told this to anybody because just the idea of reiterating it makes me hella cringe. But one time I was rolling into one of the five Starbucks in the Hercules Pinole radius. I'm not going to say which one. I don't know why there's so many. I think they're building a sixth one as we speak. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. But as I was pulling in, there was this dude, and he, was, he had an All Lives Matter sign. And I, I want to say even now he had the right intentions. Because this is, again, this is going back to 2015, when the Black Lives Matter movement was really kicking into high gear. And I remember I rolled down the window and I was like, keep up the good work, dude. Knowing what I know now, I knew that like, I either should have been like, hey, if, is this, what's your intention here? Like if, if it's a positive intention, this isn't the message or just like, yeah, it, it, not my finest moment, but that's kind of what I mean in regards to that education. That was something that I had to learn because I like I wasn't familiar with the rhetoric of all lives matter, undermining the concept of Black Lives Matter. And again, I think I was like a high school junior or high school senior at this point, just to not to not about to justify it, but just to like that was where my head was at in terms of having to learn these things and you know taking ethnic studies classes over the years, Asian American studies, African American studies classes. So I think it's, it took like one to be like, okay, that was not the way to go. But back to the question, how have y'all kind of evolved in terms of allyship from like high school days, the inception of Black Lives Matter movement to the current day? I'll go first because um, I, 2015 I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school um but yeah I can relate because I even remember you know tumblr was popping whatever I was on tumblr and, mm -hmm. you know doing my thing I don't know I saw like a black lives matter post and I was like yes and then I like commented like yeah like you know and all lives matter and at the, t at the time, like, okay, black, like, I've seen a lot of um, people explain themselves, like, yes, black people have been known, all lives matter, but they don't matter until black lives matter. 
and that's and that that's like part of the the simple like explanation and rebuttal to that and at the time you know it seems like your intentions are like yes like i want to support and i just want to like share that positivity across the board but it's like you know that place and and that place of ignorance clearly comes from um our like the way we're socialized the way we're treated and our identity as non-black people obviously like there's so many places of ignorance and just like um even from sing singing along and to a rap song and saying the n-word like in my community um and i'm from santa barbara and it's predominantly like white and latinx there's not a, a huge black community but obviously they're there and um thriving and so it's like um that's deemed as normal like as non-black people to say the n-word and it's like it's like obviously so incredibly wrong um and i've learned that i didn't learn that until i think i went to usd and that's a long time like that is not okay um and thank god my allyship has definitely like grew um i know my intentions um in high school were definitely there but i did not have um i did not have that like educational resource or like like even my family my parents they didn't know like it's like and it's not okay you know it's not okay it's not an excuse um but i'm so thankful for you know gaining the friendships that i've had in college so in college like being friends with perla maya chris like that has strengthened my allyship as well like just being friends with them because they are older than me i'm a junior or i'm i'm not a junior no more <laughs> so sad i'm gonna be a senior they just graduated. I've been friends with them for a long time now. And they really like were like people I could go to and look up to in terms of activism. And it's definitely like who your social circles are and like what your values are, like that help you. And um, so, yeah, long story short, my activism has definitely strengthened. I mean, obviously, or allyship, um, obviously, there's always room for growth. Like as a non-Black person, I'm trying to unlearn like the things that you know i have learned over the years like we've been talking about decolonizing our minds and practices and so i'm not saying i don't there's i don't think there's such thing as perfect allyship um but it's definitely something that like every day you need to check your privilege like everyday thing like um and you can't rely on being educated by um, black folks or you know you have to kind of like you have to go out and seek that knowledge so um yeah I just want to like shout out my friends real quick because definitely y'all have you know contributed to to my involvement so yeah um personally uh I think my allyship has done nothing but get stronger um I also was very uh, active on Tumblr when the Black Lives Matter movement began. Um, and I remember seeing the stories about Trayvon Martin and um, Michael Brown and even closer to home because I used to live um, 
in a southwest uh, suburb of Chicago. So when Laquan McDonald was shot in Chicago, um, that was also really, really close to home. Um, and thankfully, I always just followed the right people who um, just observing how they went about their activism and learning from it allowed me to fortunately never be um, no shade, but an all lives matter kind of person. Um, but uh, I think the biggest change has been the fact that um, it's gotten, sadly, it's gotten more like normal. I don't know, not normal, but like, it's so common. Like when it first happened, I, w I felt so young. Like I felt like a I hadn't heard of such raw injustice before, like, and especially since, like, in the education system, they just shield you from such, like, recent and horrible atrocities. Like, they teach you about slavery, and they teach you about the Holocaust, and they act like everything has finished. They tell you about sharecropping. They tell you about like everything that has been so horrible against black people in this country obviously the holocaust is not a part of that but that's that was just an example um and then they just it just that the chapter ends and and you're expected to believe that and obviously i saw all the microaggressions that happened around me but i didn't have the vocabulary to to identify that at that point. But um, I think solidarity has become more important for me and observing intersectionality has also become something I've prioritized. And even though I like to yell and try and um, give my two cents. It's also taught me that I need to take a step back and let Black people talk for Black movements and Indigenous people talk in Indigenous movements and anything that doesn't necessarily have to do with me, especially because I'm a cis, white-passing individual. I'm a woman and, like, there are certain oppressions that I do experience but on a on a level if I'm going to I don't know like tear it I just there are some things I don't experience that I'm privileged enough to never have experienced and I can't speak on those issues and I think that's been one of my biggest learning curves is that I need to take a step back sometimes, but amplify the voices that need to be heard. And um, feeling like I'm doing enough with that is my issue. Although it's not a big issue to have, like, again, it's a very privileged position to be in. Um, yeah, again, with the All Lives Matter, 
the first like memory that came to my mind, uh, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, in art class, I had made a piece about um, police brutality. Um, and I had bordered it along the line with like Black Lives Matter. Um, and I showed it to my art teacher and she was this really sweet, like white woman, um, very compassionate. And she was like, wow, like this is really amazing. Um, but you know, like I would include all lives matter too, you know, like that's important. And I was like, uh, okay, like, yeah, sure. Like you're my teacher, I'm gonna do what you're saying. So like I did it, I included it in my piece and I like still have that sketchbook um, where I did that. And I like haven't erased it or like thrown it away or anything, just like to show myself how much I have grown and learned. Um, and I like, just like you said, Justice, um, like all it took was one class, like at St. Mary's um, in Berkeley, we had, we I think they still have it, it's called Perspectives on Diversity. Um, which is like can hardly be compared to an intro to ethnic studies class like it's so surface level like very shallow um I think the most controversial thing we do is watch the movie Crash or whatever um if you haven't seen it it's just like a story about like individual different stories people of different races and backgrounds and in the end they like all like clash somehow um and it was taught, of course, by a white, cis, straight, Catholic male. Like, <laughs> you should not really be teaching a, like, a diversity class, but whatever. Um, high school, I just remember, like, taking a back seat and being like, well, you know, I'm not Black, so I, sh I should just, like, stand back and, like, like, if I can't contribute to this movement, I'm at least not going to get in your way, you know? Like, at that point, I didn't know what I could do as a non-Black person to use my privilege um, to advocate for Black voices when they were in the room um, or to, like, check family members or friends that were saying problematic things. Um, now obviously like I use my voice however I can and I still like do take a back seat like Maya was saying like I will never know what it's like to be a black woman in the U.S. Um, and the least I can do is shut up and listen um, and like circulate those resources and that information um, without like taking the mic you know um, so yeah I think I've done a lot of work, a lot of decolonization, like self-reflection, like knowing that, okay, I'm not non-Black, but these issues matter to me and they're important to me. And until we have Black liberation, like no one is free. And knowing that like, I have a lane in this movement and I should stay in it, but I should also not stop growing in my allyship. Yeah, um, so my high school experience was, I guess, a little different, I don't know, um, because I, like, a lot of my friends that, um, when we talk about, like, what life at USD is like, or, like, coming to USD, a lot of them were, like, oh, like, it was a culture shock, like, or, you know, because, like, obviously, it's a predominantly white institution, and so, like, seeing a lot of white people, like, 
a lot of them weren't used to that as where I like was used to that like that was like my whole life basically especially here in Ramona a very white conservative town um so I think that for me I really didn't um acknowledge or even like expose myself to these different um or especially like back Black Lives Matter until probably senior year of high school like end of high school um because there was just not many black people um well per- people of color in general but not many like black students at all so it was really um hard to just kind of see that and especially like if I did see it on social media I didn't like at that time I was like you know you care a lot about what your friends say especially like I had mostly white friends so I was like I don't know like if this is something that they're gonna be into because I like um always knew that i didn't agree with every like all of this but I was one of the things that I think that I've grown the most in is being more vocal and using my voice because like I often would just be like okay well I'm just not gonna say anything like I don't want to stir the pot like I don't know um especially like in classes too um learning like an A push and stuff like all of these things like I've always wanted to ask like well how did the um, new deal affect black people you know kind of thing but then that fear that was always like lived in me um as being like one of the only students of color at my school, like I also didn't like, you know, know how like the rest of my teachers and like everybody would react. Like, I don't think I had a single black teacher all of high school. Like, I don't even think there was a black teacher at my high school. So that's just really um, telling of the environment that I was in at the time. So coming to USD um, and having my first ethnic studies class, like that first semester was really um, like what I needed, especially like to, kind of map the rest of my years at USD, Um, especially like being introduced to, you know, all these new concepts and all of these ideas that I always knew kind of I was thinking about, but I just also didn't know how to word them or didn't know like how deep they went or like the history of all of these things. So I think that that first semester was really revolutionary for me um, because I was able to kind of put into words a lot of things that and a lot of feelings that I was holding back on because of the environment that I was in so I think that then finding the community that I was um that I found like you know Val, Maya, Crystal like and other friends that are people of color and other black friends too like um I was able to keep learning and keep um you know kind of keep just unlearning everything that I once was told and once was like surrounded by so I think that for sure one of the biggest things that I have seen myself like grow into was like being more vocal and like realizing that like you know ignorant like you know a lot of people are like saying like silence is ignorance and stuff so I think that I like you know by being silent and by just kind of letting it pass like seeing it as oh like that's their movement kind of thing is also like you know can also hurt in the end because you're not actively being anti-racist um you know it's not enough to be not racist so actively being anti-racist and so also I think one of the times that I had to really step back was um, I took this workshop where we had to talk about like racism and discrimination. And like one of the activities was like, oh, like you have to write down like instances in your life where you've been racist. So I think that that was really like having to reflect in that deep way. Like, um, like you were saying, like cringing and kind of like, you know, it was embarrassing to like, I'd have to admit that like, a per- like you know you, you yourself have been racist and here it is on paper I think that that was also one of the moments um you know between here and high school where I have like that helped me grow a lot and like understand that there's a lot more growth and a lot more learning to do but you know 
just now seeing it like we've have we have come a long way or at least I have from who I was and what I was thinking and doing so yeah yeah based on what all of y'all said it sounds like in our own ways we've all grown and evolved in regards to the process of the education and and I'll admit it too like back when I was in high school like like I would say like the N word like very casually and like looking back on it, it's something like I really cringe at. And if I could go back to the, go back to 2014, 2013, I would slap the hell out of my former self and tell myself stop. Um, and it also sounds as like through this process of education, through this process of evolution, it's led to this current moment in time where we've all been very active in, and being vocal about the Black Lives Matter movement and in regards to also being out in the street and protesting as well. But it was mentioned very early on in our conversation that there's kind of this feeling of not being able to do enough or that feeling of wanting to do more. And my assumption is that that's a product of us also being in the midst of a global pandemic. Like COVID-19 didn't go anywhere. So I'm curious as to how y'all have kind of come to grips with kind of being limited in activism because of COVID-19. And again, I'll throw out like a point personally, just before going over to y'all, like I follow this one page, it's like pro like Bay Area protests. And I see like every single day, it's like, it's like on a Google doc, there's like 10 protests happening all around the Bay. And I'm thinking, I want to be there. But at the same time, I remember how much paranoia I had after going to protests in Pinole and Oakland and Berkeley. And like, thank goodness, like I haven't exhibited any symptoms as a result of that. I am getting tested tomorrow. So fingers crossed in regards to that. But at the same time, like I remember the days and like the weeks after that, I was just constantly thinking like, what if this is the day I start like, like having that runny nose or this is the day that I start coughing. So to throw it over to y'all, how have y'all kind of come to grips with wanting to put that pedal to the metal, but at the same time having to be aware that we're facing this disease that the news regarding it is evolving every single day. And what we know today might be different from what we know tomorrow, next week, next month. Uh, personally, my mom has been taking like a lot of precautions. So my sisters and I don't leave the house. Um, my dad uh, works in construction in San Francisco, so he goes to work every day. Luckily, his work gave him the PPE, um, but still he like changes before he comes inside the house, like showers right away. Um, so all that to say that I have not been able to and probably will not attend protests uh which is very hard for me because that is like an environment i thrive in and like just feel energized and like i'm like i'm walking the talk you know um but it's also learning that there are other ways to walk the talk and like show that your allyship is beyond just a retweet or a repost on instagram um so I've been donating to bail funds um, and like other GoFundMes when I can, uh, definitely supporting black businesses um, 
mostly online. So it's just like little things and reminding yourself that like, you know, there are so many ways to do this work. Um, and one of those is education. So just having those conversations with people that we were talking about earlier is walking the talk and like supporting the black people in your lives, being there for emotional support, financial support, however you can help. Um, and just reminding yourself that, you know, like there's a pandemic, <laughs> like it's not that easy to just take to the streets anymore. And it's not, it, it has always been inaccessible to some people. Um, but me being able-bodied, like it's a privilege check um, to be like, you know, like I can't go to these things. I can't put my family at risk. I can't put myself at risk. Um, so yeah, just listening to black activists and like taking notes on um, how we can get involved in the movement. And definitely a lot of reading um, Angela Davis, of course, and just like getting more into abolition work. Yeah, um, I agree. It's for me, um, I've always been someone who has been down for a protest or ready um, in protests I've gone to in the past. I've always got my braids on and my running shoes and some comfortable clothes so that I can, you know, stay, stay ready. Um, because uh, honestly, I was raised to be like active and I was not like active like oh I'm in sports and stuff like <laughs> but like I'm if shit gets going I'm right there like my mom took me to protest when I was like eight my mom went to a counter protest against the KKK when she was pregnant with me so it's just in the blood you know um so now like a week after I had just left all of my down ass friends and we've all gone to protest together in the past. We've all always been there for each other. One week after we're all separated, shit goes down. And suddenly I have no one to go to a protest with. I have people at home who are very acutely in danger of COVID if I bring it home. And I'm essentially like, I'm stuck. Like the only thing I can do is take to social media. And I, I donated to bail funds. I donated to other GoFundMes. I signed so many petitions and nothing felt like it was enough because being there is what feels like to me, it has always felt what is necessary because strength and numbers shows solidarity and it shows a movement that is physical um and i i would like to acknowledge what crystal said too like being able-bodied like this is a privilege i've been able to or yeah not like have to face this kind of like frustration prior to this um and it's also, it, it, that's also been a learning curve. Um, but I've had to just like remind myself, like as strong as I think I am, like I'm a woman, like I can't go to these things alone. I can't risk taking anything back to my grandparents. 
as much as they piss me off, I would never want that for them. Um, and my mom too, like she works in a really like, um, like important role in her work. So she can't, she can't even leave the state like, um, because of the COVID risk. So it's been about thinking about more than myself in a lot more ways than one. Um, and contending with the fact that, um, I have to find more ways to be involved in my activism rather than just uh, being a body, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, it has been hard, like, even like a little bit before all of this really began going, like, I already had a lot of paranoia um from covid and like being home also like my grandma's 90 like she's pretty immunocompromised so i was like there's no way like i can do that you know like so i would already take precaution like going out to the store like i wouldn't really want to be going out anyway but um when all of this really started um happening i know that a few people here started organizing for a small protest here in town and so I told my cousin and he was like, yeah, like I'm down, like we have to go. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to go. So even my mom came with me, like we, um, you know, put on our gear and stuff and like we went and it was like a really peaceful time. And like, um, it obviously got a little, you know, rowdy because of the white supremacists trying to, you know, control us or whatever. But I think that just having that like small um, experience was really like, you know, it was really helpful for me to keep myself going, like really good motivation. And then I also had to take a step back and be like, okay, like I see all of these things happening outside, like in big cities and San Diego, like um, city itself, but also like you need to realize that um, at the end of the day, like you can't be everywhere, be doing everything. So you need to really like focus on what you know you can do and, um, and, you know, just keep working towards that. So as Crystal and Maya are saying, like, you know, donating or um, being as intentional as possible, like sending links to people, like specific people that I know would be interested in these things to like donate and to like spread the word. And also like for, at least for San Diego County, like they've had a lot of um, city hall meetings. So sitting in those for like 10, 11 hours, like while we call in, like, and, you know, sometimes most of the time like they didn't go our way but also keeping in the loop like with what's going on um different ways to like defund our police or like you know kind of all of a little bit of everything um has been what I've been doing um because I physically can't be there either as much as um I would like so so yeah just um a little bit of everything and always finding new ways to help I think that um you know every single day there's something new that can be you know, can be watched, can be seen, can be this and shared and stuff, but also just, I don't know, just keep going and realizing that at the end of the day, like, we can't save every, like, we're not gonna, you know, it's a matter of everybody doing it, and, like, um, and I think that, I don't want to say settling, because I don't think settling is ever, you know, enough, like, we can't ever settle for less, but just, like, realizing that, like, you know, we are in a pandemic, and, you know, it's, it's going to take some time for us to go back to the way things are, or maybe it won't, but, you know, just finding new ways. Um, yeah, that 
Okay, so yes, literally a week after we left San Diego, which is where a lot of things, um, a lot of movement was happening as well. Um, I was bummed. I was like, damn, like, I need to be on the front lines. Like, I need to be there. I need to go back. I want to be with my friends. We can go. Um, and I was at Santa Barbara, in Santa Barbara at the time, small community. Um, and my natural instinct is, what am I, what am I going to do? to do like to contribute and what what it like I need to step up in some way so my natural instinct was like oh, I need to like organize something um I don't know and then um I was like trying to brainstorm with my younger sister and stuff like that and um and I de definitely grew um in my activism as well when um you know as a learning curve understanding this is a time to uplift black voices, not take up space, not take up that mic. And, you know, it's really just about supporting them. And so um, I like held back on that. I, um, there's, there's not, in Santa Barbara, there's not a lot um, going on, but at the time it was like starting, I was there. So I did go to a couple protests um, with my, younger sister and my parents and my cousin and my tia and like we went and it was great and um to and it, a lot of it was youth led too so that was when i was in santa barbara and now i'm in the bay area for work and i feel so blessed to be here i'm not from here i'm not claiming it trust me i'm just here as a visitor and i just feel so blessed to see the movement up here it's just so real and it's just thriving like um i feel like honored to be here and like um see what's happening like just today i just went for a little quick walk and i just ran into like a march up the main street like and then I just like oh here's my walk I'm gonna I'm gonna join this rally um so I have definitely um taken advantage of the fact that I'm here alone and um and I'm not gonna you know um bring back the virus to anyone right at, at the moment so for me I, the first week I've been, I was here, I focused on like being on the front lines because I've been, I had been wanting to do that so bad, just like all of y'all. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take advantage. And I've definitely hear um, all the voices saying like, racism is a, a pandemic, anti-blackness is a pandemic. Like, yes, we're in a pandemic, but we need to show up. But it's, it's hard, you know, like, yes, you don't want to, um, bring back or like endanger your family um, or, you know, yourself, it can be scary. So for me, I feel that like need to be there. Um, and I was talking to Justice earlier, but like basically I um, went to a rally last week. It was the West Coast shutdown of the ports. Um, Angela Davis spoke that was life-changing I was tearing up like that woman oh my gosh she's so powerful and um, seeing her speak was amazing but after that I like got that paranoia like um, we were talking about it but like you know 
am I gonna die alone up here? Like, are people gonna know if I'm okay or not? Um, so that doesn't hit me and I got like some anxiety from that. I'm feeling better now. So um, I still think that I'm gonna exercise like my privilege um, and go on the front lines. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna navigate my way through it and hopefully, you know, do my part, wear my masks, try to social distance. Obviously that's hard at protests, but um, while I can and then quarantine before I go back home. So that's just, there's so many different layers. And um, I think a huge part of our involvement, like just echoing at what my homegirls have been saying is like knowing there's so much power in other forms of activism instead of being on the front lines. And I think being on the front lines, it's very, um, like, uh, there's a lot of strength and unity in numbers for sure, but the, the background work is just as important and the healing and being there for black folks, friends is just as important. The contributing to black businesses, black owned businesses is important. Signing those petitions, like there's so many different ways. Um, and I think it's just that, that we need to recognize, like, how we can contribute and like how we'll exercise that allyship and solidarity. So yeah, I've been kind of all over the place, but you know, I've been kind of trying to, you know, dip into everything I would say. Yeah. And like for me, even with the aspect of like to kind of echo what y'all have been saying, even in regards to, the ways that you know you can help without being on the front lines like the first couple days that like i decided not to go to protest i felt like this like immense guilt because i kept telling myself i was like dude your name is justice and you like not in the streets right now and like i carry my name with like hella weight and so that was kind of like what propelled me to ultimately go on there and I was like all right I'm taking every precaution possible like long sleeve like minimize the opportunity of like someone like coughing on me like I'm wearing mask I'm like I'm carrying like my bottle like not even the small one like the, like a hand sanitizer with the nozzle like I'm keeping constant awareness of my surroundings but even though like I had that opportunity I don't want to like undermine like doing that work like sort of that what y'all have been talking about like that behind the scenes work because at the end of the day, it's that combination of both reaching out to the politicians, signing petitions, donating to organizations that work with the work in conjunction with being out in the streets. Cause like while the work out in the streets might be the most visible, it's that work, it's that quote unquote background work that ironically is that front ground work, so to say. So to transition to a lighter subject after everything we've discussed. I do want to ask, and this is probably where we're going to end off, and we've discussed it in the previous question, uh, in regards to COVID-19, because, you know, global pandemic still going on, and it, this, these three months have been the longest year of our lives, and I do want to ask, what has y'all's life been like during this pandemic? And feel free, like, that's, that's open-ended by nature, feel free to answer that as like, however y'all want to answer that. Well, seeing as we all live together, we pretty much had the same experience and just, like, coping with it 
during the first few months of lockdown. A lot of crying together, a lot of binge watching movies and Netflix to avoid school, a lot of unnecessary all-nighters. But um, yeah, I think we definitely made the most of our situation. Um, There were moments here and there where we would like motivate each other to work out. That didn't really last very long, but it was like cute while it lasted. yeah and just like you know like allowing ourselves and each other those spaces to just like feel everything deeply like everything that we needed to feel um because a lot of times you can like you're seeing you're hearing these stories about how these deaths and hospitalizations due to corona like get closer and closer to home and it's really like a reality check like yo, me not having my graduation is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Um, But reminding yourself that, like, it's okay to feel sad about these things that you're missing out on. Um, And so definitely having each other to lean on was a privilege that I valued to, I still value it, um, that time that we got to spend together, because I know how many of my friends, like, from one day to another, just, like, work on, like, had to move back home didn't have housing um and so the fact that we were all able to stay together is something that really made my last part of my college experience yeah I completely agree I feel like I've had like three different lifetimes in this short amount of time like each week honestly was something new and like Crystal said like when it first hit It was, for me, it took a long time for it to hit. Um, The shock didn't really hit me the same as um, how I saw in, like, Crystal and Perla. And um, it wasn't until, well, one of the first times that it did hit was when (laughs) we were listening to Fleetwood Mac (laughs) in our living room. (laughs) And we all started crying. but again, like Crystal said, like just having each other, like having that space, like it's just so different when like you're with people, even if they're like not blood related, like you guys, I like, we all felt like literally like a family, like we would cook dinner for each other. Sometimes I would like call Val. I'd be like, come down. I made too much food. Come eat my fried rice or this like other food that I made. Crystal would make food for us because she was mostly our mom. Um, Perla and I would fight like like sisters, like she was my little sister. I'd like, <laughs> we were always just like, it was chaotic, but it was such a great environment. Like I really do be missing that. Um, and those all-nighters like with our finals weeks, like that was great. Like just the di- different mood swings we went through, like were insane but no matter what like we had each other and we always knew that like we could stop everything and like just hold a space where everyone was free to do whatever I don't know so that was like the first part of the COVID that I experienced which was like luckily for me like Crystal said like we had the privilege of like not being affected directly by by this all and 
even if we were quarantined, it was like, it wasn't a, a situation where we were stuck at home and we were completely bored and we didn't have anything to do because we always had something to do with each other. But now being with my family, like my, my grandparents are in their seventies, my mom's in her forties. It's just completely different. Um, obviously like there's love and everything but it's just not the same kind of environment like now I get what everybody was tweeting about when they were saying like they were hella bored and they missed their friends and shit um and I think it's also weird having to come to terms with the fact that like usually when I'm home it's only for a certain amount of time and then I go back to school to where all these wonderful women and other people I love are whereas now <laughs> that's not the case for me so unless I can find a job out in San Diego, podcast listeners, y'all, y'all hiring, um, it's, it's going to be weird to have to come to terms with the fact that I'm completely independent now and I have to make my way in this world without these amazing people by my side, most likely. But if I'm lucky, I can go back. <laughs> Yeah, I, like, still remember the moment when we got that email where they were, like, yeah, like, everything's gonna go remote, like, y'all need to move out, like, immediately. Maya and I were about to take our senior picks, like, 30 minutes later, and in my portraits, there's literally, like, a tear in my eye, and I'm, like, I always laugh, and I always look at it, and I remember that night, I think that night, yeah, it was that night, like, we went over to a friend's house because that was before like we had to officially quarantine and like I was so sad I was crying like Maya has videos and it's so funny but just I think that like it just like hit me just because I was like dang like all my friends are here right now and then like in a few days weeks like we're not gonna all be together but as the girls were saying like being able to um be in quarantine with them was just such a blessing I remember one night my anxiety was like really really bad like I couldn't like sleep or breathe and I like came down crying to Maya and Crystal's room and I just like went to sleep with them and like it was just like amazing to um just have them and always I guess now more than ever like just realize like what great people they are and like even like before this like we were friends and we were roommates and that was like a really like good time but I think that this just like showed um what how deep the friendship is and like sisterhood and like to like a new level so I think that that was something that I definitely saw through this pandemic and like through COVID but it was all fun and games um whether me and Maya were just like yelling and fighting and she just like you know making fun of me and stuff but um and or like Val just being Val <laughs> being the number one head ass um and then you know like crystal being the mom and just like what maya was saying um it was just all so much fun and i i don't know if i would if i can picture things going differently now like from this position but like at the end of the day like this is how it happened and i'm grateful either way side note i had to beg her to stop crying that night when she was clinging off to one of our friends and I just Y'all was drunk, sad, drunk, depre. That's bad. Um, I will never, rem I will never, never remember. I'll never forget the moment 
we were all on our student government or whatever. Um, Perla wasn't, but she was always there, you know, basically should have been. Um, I will never forget the moment Boof as President Harris came in and told us, he laid it out. He just, he made it real, real quick. Mind you, he had never made an appearance at one of our student government meetings. <laughs> Ever. So it's a lot for him to show up. And he was just announcing the realities of this pandemic. Because before it's like, yeah, you know, we should be doing this, this, this. We were still going to classes. We were still, I was still going to my professor's office hours. She's like, oh yeah, we might be transitioning to online. I was like, online? I was like, what? Really? Is it that serious? I will never forget that moment. And everyone's faces were just like, we were all just like, wait, like nothing matters anymore. Um, anyways. That was the first moment I was like, oh shit, this shit's real. But um, I was in a check-in meeting with one of my mentors, bosses, whatever, at USD the other day. And he asked me, like, um, well, okay, I feel like I spent a lot of time reminiscing or I'll try to live in the moment. But he framed it to me, like, you know, in five years or 10 years, whatever, what parts of 2020 are you really going to remember? as boring as it might seem, as many lifetimes as it might feel. And I immediately like thought of my family with my Loretta head asses, Loretta being our unit, our like apartment name. So I thought of y'all and um, our other roommates and just like, we were able to make so many memories um, despite our barriers <clears throat> and like, I personally, we, a lot of us don't have family in San Diego. I think Perla is the only one. So for us, like, we were each other's family, like, and that pandemic made it even emphasize that, like, for sure, like, what y'all have said. And so, you know, I am also the baby of the house, or was the baby of the house, since we don't live together. I was the baby, so um, at the time I was a junior, and they were graduating. So for me, I felt that pressure to be like, I need to step up like they're going through it all their hard work you know they're not getting what they would like so i like and it was also my cousin's uh 21st birthday she was our housemate so i felt like okay i need to make this shit like fun for them remember like memorable for them so they'll, they'll like at least enjoy it so we did a little club quarantine moment for my cousin and like turned up and um, that was so fun and the like, proudest work yet was our little graduation that we had um for well that I like helped or I planned for them it was really cool um to see like obviously it was like not serious but it was serious um it was kind of like a lit moment but also like very self-reflective I guess for them <laughs> I like asked their parents to send me videos and they like watched their parents and like slideshows of them like throughout the, their college experience I don't know I just felt like I really wanted to show up for y'all so I will always remember those things um and that was super fun um and so yeah oh my gosh there's just so many so many things <laughs> that happened already this year but that's basically how we were going through it together I think um 
I don't know what I would have done if I didn't live with them. Um, that would have sucked. It would have, I don't know. I don't know how people did that. So I just felt really grateful um, to like be in that moment, that space like with them. Yeah. Don't cry. When I say Val did the most amazing job with that grad, I am not fucking exaggerating <laughs> at all. The way that I was absolutely <laughs> sobbing 10 minutes in. <laughs> And I was already, they also made us take so many shots, bro. Like, they wanted us yes. to get dipped like, drunk, like, but I honestly, right now, I will say, we, personally, I won't say it by anybody else, but I owe Val a lot for that, because she made my graduation even better than I could have ever expected, even with, like, a real graduation. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you. Love you. Y'all, this was so much fun. I hope this was a night, like considering how much love y'all got for each other, I hope this was like a nice little reunion for y'all. I appreciate y'all taking the time out. I appreciate y'all sharing y'all perspectives. This was fun. Thank y'all. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Justice. Mm-hmm.